0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.
1: What is orgone energy? What are ghosts actually made of? Whatever happened to the men in black?
2: Hello and welcome to the 847th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben and those diverse questions came from my co-host, and partner in the paranormal, and all those adventures, my dad, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show, and we welcome your calls today. The number is 766 1240 That's from anywhere. Or you can email paul at behindtheparanormal.com and contact us via Facebook, Twitter, or
3: Instagram.
1: Now, co-hosting with us today, as he does for all our open line shows, is the renowned Shane Searway. Shane, welcome back to the show.
3: Love to be here, and I hope everyone out there is safe and sound.
1: Now before we get going, and we have a caller waiting already, uh, this is our twelfth anniversary show. Uh, we were beginning our thirteenth year on the air. Uh, actually, June first, 2008, we started on Phoenix-based Achieve Radio. So I guess technically last week was our first. <clears throat> was our. Um, I mean, who's counting? Yeah, exactly. Time flies and having fun. So let's begin uh, right off the bat with our first questioner of our thirteenth year on the air, and it's Pam. Calling
2: about ancient sites, I believe. Welcome to
1: the show, Pam.
4: Hi, welcome to the show. Hello, Paul, Ben, and Shane. Uh, Happy anniversary. It's great to know that that's uh, a thing now. Uh, My question is is that a few weeks ago, I went to an undisclosed location because they really don't want people there, but it is uh, in northeastern Connecticut. And it's a mortar-free stone chamber that is like an ancient chamber. And uh, there's, I'd say, about over 250 or so of those in the, the New England and New York area. But I had the privilege of uh, getting permission and going on one the other day. And uh, when I went there, it was truly amazing, amazing because it was completely mortar-free. They don't know how long it's been there or how, or who made it or whatever, even the, the local... Uh, First Nations don't even know uh, whom had made that. It was like they said it was there before they even uh, came on the scene, so to speak. But yeah. it's almost like a calendar. It, you can get, the, like, the, the summer solstice will hit a headstone that's inside of this chamber that is a completely different color than the other stones, and it has, like, a rectangular groove in it about a quarter of an inch around in the, in, within the rectangle, and uh, before the trees overgrew, the sun would hit it in a certain spot on the solstice. And I was wondering if you guys uh, knew anything or had any experiences with that. I had an amazing time going with my PSB7 spirit box and uh, getting some interesting communications off of it. But I'm wondering if any of you uh, have gone to any of these sites, and experienced anything really interesting yourself.
1: Well, I'll I'll take that as as probably the oldest one in the conversation. Uh, <clears throat> back in the um, <clears throat> gee the 70s, I got interested in stone sites. <clears throat> Excuse me. And in the 80s, uh, I was an officer of the New England Antiquities Research Association, which uh, was uh, sort of pioneering. I guess uh, most of them were true believers in the sense of. You know, these weren't built by farmers, they were built by, you know, Phoenicians or something. And, you know, that's entirely possible in a lot of these sites. But I'm not familiar with any, uh, right off the bat, with with the site you mentioned. Uh, in southeastern Connecticut is the Gungee Womp yep. uh, site, which is very well known. Uh, but this wasn't that. This is in northeast Connecticut. Windham no, County. this
4: is in northeastern Connecticut over in the Quiet Corner. And that's basically I'm go- all I'm going to be able to give on that information. Sure, because sure. Because he doesn't want anybody trouncing around it's private property. But also uh, has uh, connections with the Nipmuc Indians. Okay, so it's, it's no, really no, it's entirely understandable.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I did have the luck, the good luck uh, in uh, the 1990s of being um, late 80s, early 90s of being uh, uh, a. I guess it, well, I was the vice chairman of the Cumberland, Rhode Island Historic District Commission. So I had sort of an inn with the state, um, uh, archaeologist and so I, I had the run of some of these sites and as a matter of fact I had some interesting experiences and put them in my last book, uh, in Cumberland and, and other areas of that kind. Uh, are, are, are you the Pam who lives at, is it Uxbridge?
4: This is the one that lives in Southbridge, yes. I'm oh, the, so, okay, yeah, because we know each other from yeah. Facebook,
1: I believe. Yeah, okay, very
4: good. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, your,
1: your name is very familiar. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> That's yeah.
4: why. I'm, like, on Facebook all the time talking to you guys.
1: Okay, well, you, are, exactly. no, you are a known person, okay.
4: Yeah, <coughs> but, I'm uh, a known person. Yeah, but is, but at, I'm going to uh, let the, an,
1: yeah. Huh? Go ahead, go ahead.
4: Oh, no, I used to work in a, uh, now it's not a competing radio station, but in a competing radio station, 970 AM WESO, I used to be one of the news reporters there for many years. Oh, cool. And used to uh, like hearing all these wonderful stories about what was happening in the area, and uh, I was just wondering if there was any experiences that you've had with, uh, said things. I think maybe even Shane has probably gone up to the one in uh, New Hampshire because I think he's from up there anyway.
1: Oh, yeah. And I'm
4: just wondering if you had any magnetic anomalies or uh, felt anything unique or strange or heard anything audible when uh, you were at any of these sites?
1: Yeah, Shane, uh, take that one. We've been working up there for a couple of years.
3: Yeah, yeah. We've been going up to American Stonehenge, and uh, what a great place that is. And um even the owner he keeps finding new things uh he's clearing out some you know dead vegetation you know branches and leaves and uncovering more and more up there more of a uh the serpent wall and um and you know what's interesting is i i i do have equipment now i never i haven't brought it up there other than you know it's of cameras and and stuff but i i think uh maybe next visit i will um but i'm i can i can sense you know e m f anyway i don't need a yeah uh you know the detector or whatever but um there's definitely um the place is definitely special it's got a special energy to it and um i knew for sure you know once we entered into there so and um definitely it, you know you walk around this place and you knew you know that it has quite a history that there was a lot going on there at one time you could just feel that energy that it was a very very busy place and um but no, you know, never use any type of equipment up there. But um yeah, so we, Paul and Ben, we got to get back up there. It's been too long. Yeah, and we yeah, get,
1: right? Yeah, get the production done too. Yeah, we could use a field trip. Yeah. Oh yeah! yeah after being uh, locked up for year, months, it seems like years. But there, there were in Cumberland. Uh, if you read my book, um, "Dancing Past the Graveyard," that came out last year, uh there's a there's a uh, an experience there with a uh, <clears throat> that's in the section on what ghosts have to say about God. And I put it in that section because this uh, there seemed to be uh, a, a native presence there uh, that was who was and um, it was a manufacturing site, so to speak, for projectile points that sort of thing. And uh, the story's in there, but th- there was a, a sort of um, uh, person who walked with God, uh, sort of a very feminine approach to it, and it was quite interesting from that point of view. So yeah. Um, the nature of these sites is that there is a lot of memory, I guess, uh, and that they may have been built where they've been built because of the presence of uh, what we would refer to as uh, world boundaries. You know, thin places, as the first nations would say. Yes, or ley lines. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I have a love-hate relationship with the whole ley line idea. Uh-huh. <laughs>
4: um
1: You know, because they they, they tend to the uh, the initial 19th century approach to that was that they they're, they're steady. That's why. Sacred sites exist along the ley lines. You know, it's perfectly possible, but I find that they move, you know, as in the Mm telluric current, things of that kind. So, I don't know, whatever it is. I mean, Any waves
4: waves, uh, always have a fluctuation, always have a peak and a crest. So, therefore, there would be some movement in there, so I guess you're correct on that. But uh, some of these places, um, vegetation cannot grow or they grow in odd shapes. And things of that nature, I
1: found that fascinating. Yeah, oh. it, it is fascinating. One of the things at one of the sites we've investigated, and I'm not going to say which one, uh, Shane and Ben and I have been working on it uh, with some other folks, uh, Charles, Charles Credo and Alexander Petikoff, our usual gang. And there have been experiences that people who uh, live at this, live near the site have had and they don't want to talk about them. Uh, presences, uh, manifestations, things of this kind, that would take place in an area that is, uh, if you want to say, energized, or, or as we would say, an intersect point, or whatever. You know, Ben, your yeah, thoughts yeah. on that?
2: Um, uh Nothing that, that immediately comes to mind. I, I haven't had as many. Ex, ex, I haven't had as many opportunities to to go to many of these sites as as I as I'd like, but that's something to kind of change in the future, probably.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, you um, well, your brother and I were at Stonehenge. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Pam, uh, you're right. It's yep. uh, more work is required, and uh, all sorts of things are yet to be discovered.
4: That's a fascinating thing because I'll tell you that uh, the, some of the ones that I have been to, um, it, you do actually feel a sound resonance. Yeah. And I was wondering if someone could take some sort of uh, frequency. Uh, the generators and go up there and see if they could uh, match the sound frequencies to see if they could even make that band weaker in between the multiverses I'm wondering if anybody has ever tried that before well
1: well Pam you're in luck because that's exactly one of the things we're working on is archaeoacoustics uh, ah. up there at uh, America's Stonehenge and perhaps one or two other places but uh, so it's it's being worked on but excellent point
4: great. Thank you, guys, and a happy anniversary.
1: Well, thank you very much. Thank you for calling in.
4: Alrighty. Have a wonderful day.
1: Okay, well, we'll see what happens. Yep.
4: Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye.
1: Okay, we have a question from... Actually, I'm going to go right to one that came from... um, one in an area... and I'm kind of fascinated by this because... or if I can... hopefully I can find it. Oh, yeah. Uh, Megan from Boardman, Oregon, and I have to point out that according to our podcast stats, and, and this show is recorded and placed on, on all the major podcast platforms within about 24 hours of when we air, uh, in po- Boydman, Oregon, according to the stats, we have 3,413 listeners out of a population of 4,500 so if that's accurate, more than seventy-five percent of the town listens to this show. It's a small town on the Canadian border in Oregon. But hey, we're complimented. I mean, why not? Yeah. Uh, so Megan, that's oh, kind of down there. there.
2: Um, so Megan writes to us. Paul and Ben, are, I love your books, love your show. Well, thank you. Um, and uh, your many words and many of your words haunt me. I think I think about your scary statement. I can't remember where I heard you say it. That the human race. Could have been engineered as food for parasites. Uh, that we are a cattle race. This is depressing. But I wonder if it is uh, all too true, given what we are seeing around us in the world right now. It seems like the mistrust, hate, suffering, and general negativity is a perfect
1: uh, is perfect to sustain
2: parasites. It is like we are made to to feed them. Can you all comment?
1: Well, right, just briefly. Um, I hate to bring it up because it is a depressing subject. However. I think that uh, what the point is, our notion of parasites is uh, what is traditionally, among other things, called demons because they kind of do fit the bill. But what what they essentially are, I've found, they're life forms that seem to be able to access various parallel worlds, uh, if quantum physics is correct, and uh, will feed upon whatever they find that's negative there. Uh, Ben and I have found them feeding upon different negativity in different worlds that happen to be uh, intersecting at a certain point. One was in Vermont. I worked with one in Pennsylvania uh, many years ago near Philadelphia. And there have been a lot of cases like that. And I'm sure maybe Shane has too. But essentially, I like to leave everybody with the message that we are responsible for our own well-being. We don't have to be victims. You can say that throughout life. You know, don't be a victim, and that includes of, a, of paranormal parasites. Uh, they will feed uh, only if they, the food is available. If you maintain positive energy in your life, if you maintain uh, the unity of your family, even if you're totally alone, if the multiverse thing is correct, you still have a family. You are always loved. And if, if we stand shoulder to shoulder as brethren, you know, brothers and sisters, siblings, whatever you want to call, as human beings... Then parasites are de-energized. They'll go somewhere else or somewhere else. So I leave with a positive message. Whether we're victims is up to us. So I'm going to, Shane, Ben, what do you have? To, Shane, you work with this a lot.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, I mean, with everything going on and it's, it's, it's ugly out there and so it can bring a lot of us down, you know, just thinking about this, this you know this turmoil, all this this stuff that's happening in the streets and and everything, so it, it can affect us even though we're not out there um, dealing with you know these riots or you know face to face, but we're seeing it and and, and it hurts you know and and so it brings a lot of people down. So um, the way these parasites, it, um, they don't even just seek you out if you're in a vulnerable emotional state of being; they they kind of connect to you, so they're drawn to you. Um, And I like to say a lowered emotional frequency, you're now connected like two walkie-talkies. You raise your emotional um, state of being, you raise your frequency, you break the connection. There's two walkie-talkies in different frequencies. It's kind of how I like to explain it. Um, So when we're in these lowered emotional states, we are you know, not only targets, but we become... um, you know kind of connected with these things and so they will feed upon that so it's it's very important that even this this how ugly it is out there and how um you know it just it just can feel horrible to see the stuff that's going on like paul said you know maintain the love for for yourself for your family um look at the good things and, um, you know, deal with the, the bad in the best way you can. And, um, but always look towards positive, um, results and, and direction always. And, um, that'll keep you safe and hopefully a little happier <laughs> in, yeah. in these trying times. Uh, ben? Well,
2: now, the I, I think, I think, you know, a, a really fascinating thing to kind of think about, right? Is are, are we engineered for it? And I'm going to say no. Because, if that's, if that's the case, right, we could never do anything positive in the first place. Everything we do would be negative, right? Effectively. Well, I don't
1: know. We would have a choice, I wouldn't think, which we do. do that's you may the, be right.
2: Well, that's the thing, right? Yeah. What, would, what would the point of free will be if all we could do is make bad decisions?
1: Well, it's a matter of choice. That's what I'm saying. That well, I'm saying know.
2: choice wouldn't be a thing at all. Okay. If that's the case, right? If we're engineered to be negative all the time, I would say
1: yes. That's kind of what Martin Luther said.
2: Right. In a way. Well,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, but we're not engineered to be negative all the time.
1: You know, we, yeah. we
2: do have a choice in how we act. And if that's the case, right, I would suggest that perhaps parasites have adapted to us over time. That, you know... Let's say the world is, is a mess, right? But it was a mess hundreds of years ago, mm-hmm. thousands of years it's ago. It's always a mess. It's always a mess, yeah. right? But you have a choice in how, how you react to it. And that's why I agree that really it comes down to personal responsibility and, and how one chooses to react to situations. I think I, I think that a lot – the the major things that have really changed is technology and how we interact with one another – but effectively the thing that hasn't changed is us. And I I would posit that parasites have learned to adapt over time because if they function the same way as every other creature in existence does, then they would also adapt to their surroundings. And if that's the case, then perhaps we're not engineered. Then the other question would be, well, what did they do before we existed? Or even if that's the case, you know, if all, if all things are existing at one point in time, right? How did, how did they sort of get to this point? And this is all sort of a question of how did it all begin in the first place? And if it is this sort of great balance of everything, then I would suggest maybe there's positive types of parasites that probably wouldn't be parasites at all. Which I suppose would be, you know, the benevolent things that exist, right? You know, kind of like the sort of biblical equivalent of, you know, you know, fallen angels versus angels that exist in in that sort of way, right? So if that's the case, then perhaps there's a sort of opposite entity that feeds off of positive stuff. And if that's the case, you know, does positive stuff feed into other positive things, whereas negative stuff feeds into negative things? You see where I'm going with this? Yeah, maybe it's all of the above. Right, exactly. And that's the thing. The big word in that sentence is... Maybe. So what we do know from our experience, right? You know, typically people don't call us until, you know, things get real bad. And so all of our experience is when things get really bad. And perhaps, you know, the stuff that's really good, maybe the stuff that's very good. I'm I'm getting very vague with this, but... No, I'm with you. So the point being is, I don't think we're deliberately engineered to be good or bad, I think we're kind of in the middle. And we kind of have a choice in which way we want to go. You know, there are outside influences, yes, but we have a choice to allow those outside influences one way or another. And the big sort of thing about being human is that a lot of the things that exist in life encourage us to not be human, right? So, you know, we're meant to sort of feel stuff. We're meant to sort of go through life and be able to exist and be able to connect with other human beings. But I think the thing that really kind of sets us back is, A, ourselves, and B, the environment that we put ourselves in. Whether the environment is engineered is another question. And that's something that I think is more important than saying if we are engineered. I would say our surroundings are. I'd say our surroundings hmm. are meant to drive us apart from not only each other, but the world around us. And I think that is probably one of the major things. I wouldn't say us as a species is engineered. I would say that the world is engineered.
1: Interesting.
2: That's that's my hypothesis.
1: Well, there you go, Megan. Uh, just one very brief point. I think that regardless of what the explanation may be, I think that the answer <coughs> to the issue is... In your own heart, I think if you, it all has to start with us. You can't legislate it, you can't propagandize it. It's got to be from us. I'll give you an example. The other day, I I work at home, and unless Ben and I were off, and then Shane are off on some uh, one of our zany paranormal adventures, I'm pretty much working at home, <clears throat> but I went out to Duncan Donuts uh, the other day, and here in southeastern New England, it, it, the traffic is back, things are pretty much back to normal, life is uh, kind of just as, uh, as busy as it um, was before the, the pandemic, and I was in line at Duncan uh, in the, the automobile line at the pickup window, and there was a young lady uh, happened to be a lady of color in front of me, and no idea who she was, she paid for my my tea me and I thought that was uh, you know a simple act of kindness that means everything that made my day no parasite could come near me that day because it was so positive you know and uh, it's just it starts with us simple acts of kindness and that's contagious it multiplies and it can solve a lot of problems including what we're going through right now
2: right it brings the world back into sort of a a, a unity or yes.
1: an orientation that's where we have to go with the unity well, thank you for the excellent question, Megan. And uh, our best to the, uh, all the folks in Boardman, Oregon, where apparently we have a lot of listeners. Very pleased to hear that. Okay, uh, we have one from Tracy in Uxbridge, Massachusetts, right here in our local area. Okie dokie. Tracy writes to us, Paul, I would
2: love to hear you talk about uh, that boy who spoke of the high and the low people again. I can't remember where you mentioned it. I mean, there's like almost 900 shows, I don't believe. Yeah, probably, <laughs> plus, uh, the two, plus two books. But it, but it seemed... <laughs> It seems fitting today. Uh, there are a lot of high people still out there doing good.
1: Okay, well, the background of that is, uh, 1991, I was um, uh, contacted by a family uh, in Waterford, Connecticut, near New London, you know, not too big of a town. And uh, they had a little boy who was five years old and was dying of childhood leukemia. He had been talking to his grandfather, his maternal grandfather, whom he had never met. And who had died ten years before, or, or translated as we say, it was an amazing experience. They weren't frightened. He himself wasn't embarrassed. He was, uh, and we, we became very good friends. I go on there several times, and you know, we'd uh, he'd take my hand, and we'd go for walks, and he'd tell me all about this. I learned more from that little boy than I did from all the seminary classes that I ever took, uh, and, and graduate school, anything like that. He had such simple wisdom. And I find that in children who are terminally ill. Uh, it's a terrible situation, but they, they tend to become very other-centered. We think of children sometimes as you know, little bundles of ego. Well, you know, some are, but I mean, when, when they face that, they do so with, with great, uh, the ones I've seen, with great dignity and, uh, in this case, great wisdom. So he said there are two kinds of people. This is in the context of many conversations. He, he called them the high men and the low men. Or you might say high people, you know, because grammatically when you talk about men as a group, it includes women too. But anyway, there was, a, and he said that the low men or the low people are not really even human. And just thinking about that over the many years where this has happened, he where since I last talked to him, it seems that the the people who whose facets of their personalities this is all gets into the multiverse thing and our own theories are uh far more connected with uh the where they are parasites in the multiverse and the, the higher people are more connected with where they are not all right and that's essentially what that was and, and i write about this th- there's um a chapter uh, a, a small a small chapter about this in uh the book ben and i wrote in 2017 uh, behind the paranormal everything you know is wrong so That's essentially it. I just it it was a lot about what life really is, and a lot about what people really should be and are. And it was most inspiring. And and he um, he translated uh, before he turned six uh, of this leukemia, and he did so very peacefully with his family. Unfortunately, I was not there, but he um, he's one of the major influences on my life. This five-year-old boy, name was Peter. So we have a caller, Ben.
2: Uh, well, it was just uh, Country Bob giving us uh, giving us a, a kudos for existing <laughs> on the airwaves for 13 years. Oh, Country
1: Bob, right here from Woonsocket, Rhode Island, our our, our town, and uh, our, certainly our radio home for the last good grief uh, going on 12 years.
2: And on that note, we actually have to take a brief break.
1: We do. I forgot you know, the time. Anyway, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM and 995 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back with our open lines. Music. night is alive
2: join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to the kingdom of Nye, hosted by heather wade the finest in late night talk listen live free
4: weeknights starting at 9 p.m pacific time at the talkstreamlive.com and the paranormal radio app
1: wanna take a ride Okay, and we're back. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM, 995 FM in the beautiful Blackstone River Valley of New England here, full of pollen, but very pretty. And, uh, we are, uh, graced with the presence of our, of our favorite guest co-host today, Shane Searway. And we're dealing with open lines on many, many paranormal subjects, uh, calls and, uh, emails from folks all over the uh, country in the world here I guess and uh we're um very happy to have anyone uh, call us it's 401766 uh 1240 uh, 1240
2: we actually did yes yeah, we actually just had a caller call in that uh, brought up an urban legend uh from from around here which I I vaguely remember um which was uh it's to anybody who's not not from you know Rhode Island specifically northern Rhode Island it's going to sound a lot very, very very similar to an 80s horror movie um, of uh, nightmare on elm street but su- supposedly back in the day uh there was this this dude named fingernail freddy who had very very long fingernails uh and just like would you know scare kids and all and all that stuff there's probably more to the urban legend itself and no i'm to the best of my knowledge they did not rip that off from nightmare on elm street <laughs> And it sounds ridiculous, but there's like it, it, which brings up a really interesting question about urban legends and how they kind of kind of come around. There's like there's some really weird ones that kind mm. of exist, like the watermelon head kids or whatever in Connecticut. Just like yeah. all, all sorts of odd stuff that just kind of pops up in like little local folklore. It makes me wonder what's going to happen in the next hundred years if people still bring it up.
1: Yeah, well, the urban legend. Maybe Shane has a comment on this too. The urban legend thing is just our stories that get started and are are kind of um unique to modern society in other words in, in there were plenty of legends and stuff in in the, the rural areas when when people were pretty much uh farm oriented back you know in the century or more ago. but there have been issues where um there have been things like well w- one of the famous ones uh, is uh the the story of uh the 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 person who finds a funny little dog or they think it's a dog. And it turns out to be um, an Australian wombat that uh, tried to um, you know that was uh, came into the port on some ship and Ben's mom my wife actually came home one time and said that one of the lawyers she knew had actually um, done this had a, a, a dog it turned out to be an Australian wombat and she took it home and it could it almost it almost killed her uh, or, or, or could have i should it didn't but I mean she was nice to it. But, I mean, here's an urban legend that actually came into my own kitchen. So uh, that's what urban legends are. Shane, any comments on this?
3: Yeah, I, well, the one that Ben was thinking out I wonder, not that um, did they steal that from the movie. I wonder if the movie stole it from the legend. I wonder if they yeah. heard of it and made a movie out of it. But I'll bring up one that probably you all haven't heard about. Um, well, you know, down, down Louisiana, you got the Rougarou, you know, um, the old French, I mean, this goes way back. Me and my wife were just watching a, a show about, um, you know, the French, um, the, the new, new France and, and, all that other stuff. And they, they were talking about the Rougarou in there. But, um, but also one that most probably people haven't heard of was, is down in Louisiana, they have what, what they call stackalina, And, um, it's a story that, you know, parents and grandpa- uh, yeah. grand uh, grandparents will tell the children to keep them in bed they said you know Stacalina is like this this creepy uh, witch lady or whatever that that goes after kids and so if you get out of bed you know and and she'll come and get you, you know. But if you hear scratching on the screen door or on the on the screens, then that's Stackelina, you know, she's creeping about. And, and of course, down there there's so many bugs. So these kids, are, they're hearing any any sound on the screens and they're freaking out, right? But they're staying in bed. And, and so I think that folklore was probably, you know, just made up to keep the kids in bed. But um, that's certainly one I bet you most people haven't heard of. But it's uh, there's a song about it, too, that I like.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, why not write about it? All right. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Do we have another caller? We do. Okay.
2: And we have John on the air with us. Hi, guys. How are you?
1: Oh, hello, John.
2: Hey. John,
1: uh, and where are you from, John?
0: Putnam.
1: Putnam, Connecticut. Okay. Yes.
0: You 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 know Putnam,
1: right? Oh yes, we spoke in there, and it's near uh, my first case.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right in. Yeah. Your first case was in Pomfret.
1: Correct. Nineteen seventy to nineteen seventy-two.
0: Absolutely. I've read all of your books.
1: Well, I hope you still like me.
0: Uh, not not nearly as much, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at least
1: you're but, honest.
0: But anyway, hey, you know it's funny. I, I live in an old house that my grandparents had bought in 1944, and we had a murder suicide here in 1936. Now I know that's true. I went back and researched it. I saw the newspaper stories. Now this was before my family bought it. It was the original owners of the house. In fact, I, I found their graves the other day. They're buried in Thompson nearby. Hmm. And I will tell you now, I come from a Celtic family. And you know the old legend about it, every generation of a Celtic family, one of them gets the fay. Oh, yeah. You know how that works? One of them gets it. Well, my brother get got it. Okay? Uh, and my brother got it. And there's parts of the house he won't go into. And the barn... Here. He won't go into that at all, period. And that used to be the workshop of the guy that actually committed the murder. Um, and, you know, I, I recognize, you know, your philosophy, and I tend to agree with it, but it's it's very interesting. I know other sensitive people. My, my wife is sensitive as well, and she's uh, experienced some things here in the house. Now, I've lived here in the house all my life. I'm 58, uh, but I've lived here all my life. And it's... Uh, it, and it's just kind of interesting. I've never felt a thing. Fortunately, I'm very happy to say I haven't. Yeah. And I'd like to keep it that way. Uh, but it's it's interesting how these things are out there. Uh, and you wouldn't you know you drive by and you wouldn't expect it. But here in New England, of course, where we've been here a long time, I mean, I I think probably every other house is haunted. I think.
1: Yeah, the little planet's haunted, I think, when you get it, down it, to it.
0: Well, well, that's. What I hear I, you. I that's hear what you. What John Keel? That's what John Keel said. Yeah. They? He said. That, he says. I remember him saying one time, is, "Is Auschwitz haunted? You know, isn't the whole planet haunted?" And I, you know, I, I get a kick out of people talking about Indian burial grounds. Right? Well, you know, how many thousands of years did the Indians live here? I pretty, they're probably pretty much buried everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you that's, know, yeah, that's if you a good think point. About it, you know, no. you know, but it's, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's just an interesting thing. And as I said, my, my brother. You know, there's places there's places in the house he won't go, and he grew up here too.
1: Yeah, well, I I, I hear what you're saying. As a matter of fact, uh, people say, "Oh, well, somebody died in the house." I say, "Well, it's New England. I mean, some of the houses are almost 400 years old. Of course, somebody
2: died." That's why they have weeks too. right? <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, and but I, again, well, you know, our, our philosophy, John. You know, I think we think that this has very little to do with dead people and more with mm. you know connections with where you are that person or where. That Teresa never died or whatever, you know? Well I had
0: I had three family members die in the house. In fact two of them died in the room I'm sitting in right now. Mm-hmm. And well, that's what all
1: they, that noise is behind you.
0: That's what all the noise is. That's yeah. right. <laughs> that's what the noise is. But the it yeah, I, I don't think it's that. I you know, I, I think maybe it's the energy that got released, you know, when you had a murder you did have a murder suicide here in nineteen thirty six and uh, you know perhaps it's not a living person perhaps it's the energy that got released and it's still reverberating
3: somehow shane you want to get in on this yeah yeah definitely uh, i'll tell a story about a house uh, that i worked in <clears throat> excuse me i uh i'm self-employed I, I do remodeling or whatever but i was in a in this old house not that that matters by the way um that was in Austin, New hampshire very old part of the town um and so there's there's actually two estates there, and so I'm, I'm in the, the – well, the whole time I'm there, definitely you've got that feeling of this, this house. It had a unique um, energy yeah. to it. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm working, and I hear a woman's voice. Hello? And I mean, plain as day, like she was standing right behind me. Hello? And mm-hmm. the house is empty, so, you know, you can just hear it, plain as day. And, and then sometimes, who are you? You know, always asking, like, a question, and – so, I told the guy that I was working with who ne- doesn't believe in this stuff he did not he didn't, he knows I'm not crazy, but he just doesn't believe in this stuff and so i got i came in one morning, he's like he's like i heard it I heard it She said hello to me." She was standing right behind me and he, and he was like all freaked out about it and so one morning I'm there by myself and and i'm I'm working in the in a dining room, and all of a sudden, the radio station starts changing, and I look down the dial's actually turning. So I I went and I got uh, a recorder and and I actually recorded um, I, I said you know it's talking to the red light you know and and it, and I heard it and then the recorder recorded it and it, she says how you know asking the question of how you know so but the story behind this house. And, you know, it was tr- dramatic things that happened, and that's exactly what, you know, that, that those emotional bleed overs is what you were just describing that I, I absolutely is responsible for, for that activity. Um, but this house, there was a, a man that, um, had supposedly committed suicide, but the town folk know that wasn't true. His, um, his wife was having an affair with the chief of police, and, So when they found him, he was right-handed. The gun was in his left hand, and the bullet hole was on the right side of his head. So he would have to reach all the way around instead of just putting it up to hit the left side of his head. So it just it didn't make sense. And then also there was a a lady, older lady that fell down the stairs, but yet she never hit one stair. She cleared all the stairs, and she hit the landing down below, and I actually had to repair the joist underneath because it was cracked. It was just snapped right in half, a big one, too.
4: Whoa. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, yeah, that had, and it, it was that way for quite some time. And then the there was a couple that lived there for 25 years prior to me going in there. The, the house was vacant when I went in there. Um, was that, well, the, the female, they were there for 25 years. The female was suffering from dementia, um, the family called to have there was weird things going on even though the, the, the guy was known to be a real nice guy and everything but people knew something weird was happening with them both and so the the, the, the family called to have a wellness check police got there the, the guy flipped out started shooting up the house they did a 12-hour standoff with this guy they got her out of the house um but you know just very very bizarre be, behavior but but that was another an emotional event that, that took place in this house. So you had all these different events that happened within the house. That's exactly what is responsible for the activity that's taken place there. And that's the same thing that happens in these places that people say um residual haunting i don't like that term i don't like what it implies that your house is not a dvr or you know, <laughs> well, you know I don't m- remember that's not what i said either
4: so. No, no no no, sir. no
3: no no i'm saying people in general they they will say that i i think you're on point with what you said sir um but but definitely th- these emotional events that that um can be responsible and you know and not so much a dead person walking around your house you know so i th- no i think you were on point i was just saying that there is a classic Term where people say residual haunting, and that implies that, you know, kind of like your house is a DVR, like your, you they, I mean, he heard him say that your wood floor can record, you know, events and, and replay them, and I think that's foolish. Where, and, uh, you know, where we stand on that, and, uh, yeah, I think exactly. it's emo- an emotional bleed over between parallels or between, you know, different times and uh, it
0: it was funny the event happened eight years before my family bought the house they bought it in 1944 and this was in 36 and my grand grandparents lived a block away when the when the shooting happened and they didn't they knew the people you know and and the, the guy that did it was actually quite well known around town and quite well liked and uh you know and it was just one of those horrible tragedies that happened and my grandmother, I remember her telling me about hearing the shots that morning, but she thought it was a car backfiring, and they found out the next day that you know the, the murder suicide had happened. And and uh, and as I said, I literally just found their graves the other day. I was out searching around. I had an idea where they were, and I finally found them. And it looked like nobody had visited there in a long, long time, and that was kind of interesting as well. But you know, it it it, it just goes to show you that here in New England. Uh, with the history that we've got I mean uh, any old house has probably got something like this now ben, maybe not maybe not quite as maybe not quite as uh, tragic but I mean it has something like this
2: I think there's some sort of it's like a I don't want to say romanticized That's not the right word it's not the word I'm looking for but this sort of like um, uh, archetype of like old New England houses right so yes. it's like we just sort, we, we, we sort of expect it to be so like um, my my wife and I had the, had the pleasure of of uh, seeing this house that was built in 1910, right? Um, in this funny little town in in the middle of Massachusetts, it's called Douglas. Nice nice place. I like it. No, really. I know I know it well. Yeah, it's a nice oh it's a nice spot. Great great place. It's lovely. Place. Yeah, it's quite so, lovely. Yeah, it's a nice little town. I like it a lot. And, Don't
1: call it too funny. We have a lot of listeners there. Well,
2: funny. I mean, like it's it's like a, it's, it's like one of those typical New England towns, right? You have yeah. that one little mean drag, and there's a bunch of little side streets, and there's an old mill, like just like old well, stuff. Well, 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 well Putnam is pretty typical too, and frankly, yeah. so is One
1: Socket. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah you know, Typical New England. Oh, well, towns. same kind of flavor.
0: Right. Well, well One Socket, of course, is bigger, but I mean, it's a it's very. Very
2: typical New England place, mm oh yeah, of course, and so it's so you know New England has this sort of typical like like sort of um very specific things about it, right you'll always find you know old mill buildings or something to that effect, or a dam there's always at least a dam, which you know fun fact in Massachusetts alone, I think there's something like. 2,000 or 2,200 dams in existence and it's like a very specific number but like most of them just are completely out of commission or like it's it's too much work to just take them down and it would just completely destroy the environment if they did because of all the chemicals and sediment that are built up in there but this isn't a history lesson the 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 fascinating thing about them is i found that the one of the most well, I almost to say most haunted, but one of the most active places I've been in was actually my mother-in-law's place that was built in the late '90s, and it was uh, honestly—I'm pretty sure it was just because of the wetlands. And the more I've kind of really thought about it, the more I've—I've I've kind of realized that the geology of New England and the makeup of the soils. Has a lot to do with the activity that's created, right? So, I mean, we have a lot of sandy soils and rocky soils. We have high groundwater tables. There's wetlands all over the place. And you have, there's all sorts of things that conduct a lot of electromagnetic activity, right? So, a lot of these old houses, they have like field stone foundations in there. I mean, you
1: know, including the one you just bought. Right.
2: And, you know, or you have like a lot of running water all over the place. It just produces a ton of electricity, especially if you mix that with like, you know, high tension wires and all that you have all your ducks lined up in a row you know a lot of, a lot of stuff's going to happen
0: well there's a, there's plenty of water in southern new england anyway i mean every you know you, you can't you can't walk quarter of a mile without falling into a pond <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. know i mean and there's a str- there's streams everywhere and where i am there's a stream nearby there's a pond nearby yeah. i mean there are but that's true everywhere i mean it's and water, as we know, has electrical properties and, and all of that. So, I, I don't think enough—I don't think enough research has been done into this because it's—it's it's seen as this woo-woo kind of thing. So, real scientists don't want to get into it.
2: Right, exactly. Although right. I think I think that's changing slightly. I think it's changing slightly, mostly because of the of the research that's been done. You know, with with quantum physics you know macro and micro i think that 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 we're heading in a direction where we're finally starting to develop a vocabulary to be able to at least discuss it and it's it's slowly making progress away from the 19th century spooky scary skeletons and more towards okay well now we kind of have an idea the math proves that there are multiple worlds out there even if it's just a handful uh, I think we're we're get we're slowly making our way there.
0: But as Max Planck said, he said science changes one funeral at a time. He's yeah, right. Exactly. Yep. And and Stan Friedman so, echoed that. You know, and I'm afraid that that all those extremely skeptical people are going to have to be dead. And, <laughs> you know, maybe you know, maybe they'll come back as spirits and you know prove it themselves. But but. Uh, those people are all going to have to be dead before anything really changes. And I'm afraid, Paul, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. Ben's, maybe, but not ours.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what we uh, can do. John, (laughs) thanks for calling in. Fascinating conversation. hope you call in again.
0: Thank you, sir.
2: Right, bye.
1: All right. Okay, Ben, I think we have time for one more question, do we?
2: Yes. Um, Did we want to jump to Peter's question from Bogota? Yes. Ah yes, we can't have an open line show without Peter. So. No,
1: it wouldn't be legitimate. No. So Peter
2: writes to us. Whatever happened to Men in Black? Which is great. <laughs> jump right, jump right to the lead. Uh, have they have they vanished and gone back to their own world, perhaps, in, to return in the future? Uh, the last case I can find is the fantastic 2009 Niagara Falls case. I've asked a number of people, and nobody can cite anything since 2009. Have you discovered anything new?
1: Uh I think perhaps yes. Uh and I did check with Tim Beckley on this, and Tim Beckley, one of our guest co hosts sometimes and a renowned figure in the uh UFO world since the nineteen sixties, who has been on this station fifty years ago or more with uh our good friend um Joe Ferrier. Uh he was not too familiar with some recent cases, but I think that the men in black quote unquote have not disappeared they may have changed uh, i was just going to say that okay oh sorry about that got okay all
3: same right same you here be, i was going to say the same
2: thing okay
1: well, you can yeah. both amplify <laughs>
2: well we're all on the same page i guess yeah
1: well ben uh, back before you got married we're still living at uh, the uh, old homestead uh, there were, even you remember people would come to the door dressed as utility workers and uh, they uh, we would check them out and they would not be utility workers you know mm. they always wanted to get into our house to 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 do something with the meter, a gas meter usually, and uh, maybe maybe that's a coincidence, but from what I've been hearing, uh, and and Shane, yourself, you can take it from here, because you yourself have been stalked by by some strange people, so go ahead.
3: Oh, yeah, for sure, yeah, when I, especially whenever I do like some of these other big, uh, other big shows, you know, with, they have a lot of listeners worldwide, and, you know, huge audience anyway, and I've, talked about certain theories in when i've had time to you know some of these three hour shows that i do where i actually have time to to get into some mechanics and and um talk more deeply about my theories about how this stuff works and and then also when i've shown a a couple pictures too um i've had within hours i have the black helicopters unmarked above my house they circle around i can see people looking down at me and they'll they'll go off and then they'll come back do it again and it's it's Kind of like it never fails. It never fails. I mean, and and also I've had strange, well, um, a white van multiple times follow me, and um, and I was on to the guy the whole time. He he kept his distance at Poland in the parking lot. He parked on kind of like on the other side. I went into the store. I as I came out, he was acting like he was re- reading a newspaper, but he was staring at me. And I started to speed walk towards him, and he peeled off. And um, then I've had this this black SUV, and I've owned every type of SUV SUV there is, and I don't know what make this was. It was it was a really cool looking SUV. I just don't know what model it was. Nothing that we have around here, hmm. and strange plates too. Um, and what was weird is um, I'm in a different place all the time. This is the first day of me being on this property where I was at, um, never there before, and. Here, there is this SUV parked at the bottom of, you know, below on the street, looking up at me with binoculars. And I just nonchalantly walked out into the hall, ran down the stairs, and he was long gone. But he showed up quite a few times um, after that as well. So, um, like, I I was just going to say, maybe, you know, we're... There's movies about Men in Black there's you know a lot of discussion about Men in Black why would they stay looking the same way they have been when they they've kind of been exposed so wouldn't they change if they're you know of any type of intelligence which they appear to be so they would definitely want to change like your utility worker they're going to find different angles to um to get close and mine just seem to to stalk you know and and uh so
1: yeah they'd stand out like sore thumbs like when the Men in Black thing first started you've got it was customary for men to wear hats and ties and jackets on the street now they'd stand like sort of ben
2: so you know what's interesting is we we had um jeez oh, i can't remember her name we had a, we had a show about black eyed children a while ago and i remember it being compared with men in black because they did the same sort of things where they come up to your door you know they ask to use your phone and they they ask to be let inside and it's the same the same sort of thing um you know it, phenomena changes right so it's the the point that i was making at the beginning of the show is you know if it, if it exists it has to adapt to its environment and i guess that would make sense that they would move from you know wearing very customary clothes in the 1950s and 60s and 70s and then move into probably more streetwise clothing or get a little bit more intelligent and maybe you know Get themselves some uh, some uniforms or whatever, or you know, wear some normal normal person clothes. But I think it's interesting that right around this time um, there were there were sort of reports. I I I feel weird about talking about black-eyed children because I still think of it as like a like an urban legend kind of thing. Mm. But there are a lot of reports about it, and it's been increasing more over time. So as you hear less about men in black. Type things. The more you kind of hear about some of these other phenomena popping up.
1: Yeah, that show was one we did with Heidi Hollis. Heidi Hollis. Yeah, who uh, really was the origin of the, coined the term shadow people. Right. And whenever we mentioned we always give Heidi credit because she never gets any credit.
2: Well, she deserves so, it. Did great. Yeah, show. it was
1: uh, <clears throat> one of one of the shows last year. I, I wish I could remember exactly which one, but it, look in our archives on paranormal dot com. But
2: and she and did that. bring up black eyed children, and she yep. drew a comparison between the two and how they interact with the phenomena experiencer, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, you know, men in black would come to your door and they'd ask to be invited in and they would always show up in groups of one or three, never like two, four, it was always one or three, and they would, you know, try and get in to your house, and same with black-eyed children. You know, they would come to your door, they'd try they'd try and speak to you, uh, and try and get in to use a phone or something to call their parents, quote-unquote, but they never did they never do
4: mm.
2: and she she kind of said well maybe they're the children of of I, th- I think that's what she said I can't remember but she did
1: basically she compared the two yes she did well possibly you know young men in black right that that that's of what thing. it was.
3: yeah well, 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 And also too the people that have encountered men in black as well as people that have encountered black-eyed children they're uh, they all f- often uh, fall ill after that strange yeah, illnesses
1: that's right yes
3: yes
2: yes yes. So that's, that's, that's kind of where, where I, w- I was heading with this, that maybe okay. it's, it's just shifted.
1: Yeah. Okay, yes. well, we're just about out of time, folks, so let's uh, start our announcements. Yes. Um, every effort is being made to preserve the Exeter UFO Festival for Labor Day weekend this year, and then all three of us are involved with that, along with half of our stable of co-hosts. And uh, we're uh, told that a decision will be made within the next few days about whether it can be held in the usual venue, which is the historic town hall in Exeter, New Hampshire, uh, and the possibilities for holding yeah. it virtually. It's all being examined. There are varying opinions on whether that should be tried. One way or the other, we would, uh, should it occur, do our fifth annual live broadcast from the event with the panel of the speakers. It's always very popular every year and the festival is sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club uh, to raise funds for local children's charities so let's hope it uh, goes forward
2: and assuming things are semi normal by october we plan to be back at the greater new england ufo festival or ufo conference i should say in Lemonster, massachusetts on the columbus day weekend my dad is scheduled to be the keynote speaker to mark his 50th year or work year anniversary year work anniversary In paranormal research, so now it's a bit day of firsts, many firsts, yeah, or many anniversaries, I should say. So Uh, Shane, what's going on with you this season?
1: (laughs) If anything, (laughs) (laughs) oh, did we lose the audio here?
3: Uh, We shouldn't have. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Um, yeah, just a lot of, I'm doing a lot of uh, shows lately. I've been doing a ton of shows, but I have Great. no, no, um, conferences scheduled. Not, I think you said that all three of us at Exeter, but no, I'm, I'm not on oh, that. None
1: one. of us do. That's... Oh, that's why, uh, you know, we're uh, glad to be able to have some uh, some of the big names, including you, on the show. Yes. Uh, keep everybody out there. Okay, let's, uh, I suppose, move on here to, um, we'll refer to our um, BehindTheParanormal.com website. You can find all sorts of information there about the show, our schedule coming up. And uh, I should say that uh, we're going to be migrating to a new hosting platform, so there may be a little bit of disruption this week with the site uh, or even with our email, so, but just uh, stick with it and it won't last long, okay? So let's, um, what do we got next week, Ben?
2: So next week on June 14th, we will bring you another rare appearance uh, by a psychic on the show, and we'll be joined by physical medium Walter Rucker.
1: And we'll also have uh, Kathleen Marden co-hosting, because she knows Walter Rucker, and and uh, we'll see how that should be a fascinating conversation. Yeah, you know the apparent the rare appearances by psychics lately have not been too rare actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so
2: well, it'll be very a rarity once again after this.
1: Okay, so Shane, you got a quote for us today?
3: Yeah, so we leave you this afternoon with a thought. In the in these times, have faith in yourself and have faith in humanity. Sounds good. I'm Shane Stairway.
1: I'm Paul. You know.
2: I'm Ben Eno, and we still have roughly a few seconds
1: to <laughs> before,
2: before we, can, we can hit our outro. Okay. Um, I do remind everybody that if you do listen to us on uh, Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and subscribe, and it helps us grow
1: the show. Yeah, and you can check us out on iTunes and
2: uh, all Apple sorts Podcasts of other.
1: and all sorts of other things.
2: So. Yes, and so thank you for joining us on our great cosmic journey. Everyone be safe, and we will see you next time on Behind the Paranormal.